0: welcome back to The Scoop on Sunday. My name is Thomas Copeland. We're back with the first show of the new term and we have a packed programme for you this evening. Last Friday, Queen's installed Hillary Clinton as Chancellor at the University. But not all students have welcomed Clinton's appointment. We'll be hearing from one of our reporters who was at the inauguration ceremony, and I'll be interviewing one of the students protesting outside. If you're a first-year student, the accommodation crisis here at Queen's may well have been giving you sleepless nights this month. We'll be recapping our coverage of that story for you, and chatting to one student facing a lengthy and expensive commute into Belfast because he can't find accommodation here in the city. Following news that the UCU will be balloting its staff at Queen's and Ulster over strike action which might take place before Christmas, I'll be chatting to my guests about whether students should be supporting those strikes, or after a year of online learning, they should actually oppose them. And while many students are delighted to be back on campus in person, others are not. Keep listening this evening for a really powerful account from one student who is terrified about bringing COVID back from campus to their vulnerable father. All that and more on The Scoop on Sunday tonight. Thank you so much for being with us. Okay. Now, last Friday, Queen's University installed Hillary Clinton as its 11th chancellor in a ceremony held in the Whitlaw Hall. Olivia Fletcher, editor of The Scoop, was at the event for us on Friday. Liv, thanks very much for being with us. You were there. You had a front row seat. Tell us all about it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah well second row actually but anyway um yeah so clinton was appointed as chancellor last year in january um and then she was due to come here in april last year but couldn't because of the pandemic um so yeah she came to the whitler hall on friday last week and was officially installed in her role as chancellor and yeah so i was there um i have to say you know being in the hall it was rather a grand occasion you know there was a pianist playing music um the hall was buzzing or as buzzing as it could be given social distancing requirements that were in place. Um, And then when everyone came through in the procession and they were walking down the aisle, including Hillary Clinton herself, you know, they were all in their full regalia, you know, wearing lots of gold. It looks like, Um, and plus the ceremony was then also followed by a reception and a dinner that Clinton herself also attended.
0: So quite a grand occasion, Who who all was in attendance?
1: Yeah so like you said social distancing was in place and even as I queued up to get my ticket on Thursday the day before um, students were being turned away because there simply just weren't enough seats in the Whitler Hall. Um, Some staff were also invited to attend the ceremony um, and you know the Lord Mayor was there as was the Vice Chancellor Ian Greer um, and some big names were actually receiving honorary degrees from Miss Clinton herself including Lisa McGee who was the creator of the TV show Derry Girls and also the co-founders and members of the Northern Ireland Women's Coalition were also got honorary degrees as well.
0: And and what was Clinton's main message? She spoke for a, a, a prolonged no, 15 prolonged period minutes. of time, around 15 yeah. minutes, was it? What was her message? I mean, what, what was that you take away when you walked out of the hall?
1: So I guess there were a few main points to take away. Firstly, what she said specifically about the university, which was that she's looking forward to learning much more about the university, she said, and that she's gonna be helping to tell the university's exciting story. And I guess we'll see what that actually looks like as her chancellorship continues, um, which is for five years starting from January last year. And obviously, she had quite a big role in the peace process in Northern Ireland, I suppose. Um, She held Northern Ireland as a symbol of peace. um, And obviously, she had visited Northern Ireland with her husband, Bill Clinton, in 1995, when she was First Lady. And he was the President of the United States. Um, But another important thing as well to note was that she is the 11th Chancellor, but she's also the first female Chancellor that the university has had. Um, And so that was quite a big theme as well, you know. She paid tribute to the role that women had played in the Northern Ireland peace process. Um, and obviously she had also you know, given honorary degrees to the co-founders and members of the Women's Coalition as well. So those were the key takeaways, I'd say.
0: So you were inside the hall. What about outside the hall, Lib? Were there any protesters there on the day?
1: Yeah, well, not directly outside the Whitlaw Hall because, as you can imagine, there was quite a lot of security in place. Um, outside the front gates of the university, I'd say, there was a gathering of protesters maybe between 30 and 40 um, who were chanting things like, um, you know, shame on Queens and they had banners outside as well. Um, But yeah, like I said, the Willow Hall was quite tightly guarded. So I think it seems like it was difficult to get any closer than that to protest.
0: And there's another whole part of this story, Liv, that's kind of separate in a way. And that's about the Students' Union. Tell us more about what's happening there.
1: Yeah. So after Hillary Clinton was um was given the role as chancellor in January last year the Students Union Council passed a motion which said that the council opposes the appointment of Hillary Clinton as chancellor and so what this did was it essentially mandated the SU to boycott meetings receptions events so you know things like dinners with Miss Clinton but there is a caveat to that which is that you know um, the SU can attend graduations um and so the student union officers, including the president, attended the ceremony um, and the dinner. Um, and the president, Katie Nguyen even, delivered part of the university charter on stage as Hillary Clinton stood behind her or sat behind her. Um, and so she got on stage and she delivered the charter, but she also said, we are delighted that you have accepted the position as our chancellor and we wish you every success. Um, and she also attended the dinner afterwards as did the other SU officers, I believe but the SU president told the Scoop that she did so so that she could lobby people about student issues at the dinner in person. Um, but this has called some anger, I suppose, in the student body, especially by those um, who were maybe at that council meeting who helped to pass this motion, um, who maybe feel betrayed that SU would go back on their words to boycott the event, I suppose. So yeah, it's called some anger.
0: Okay, Liv, thanks very much for being with us and for for giving us that report. Liv Fletcher there, editor of The Scoop reporting on the story for us. I'm joined now by Aidan Moran, the SU environmental officer who seconded that SU motion we were just hearing about opposing Clinton's appointment last year. Aidan, thanks very much for being with
2: us. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, I should probably just clarify. uh, I was removed without notice uh, from the environmental officer role. Um, There is a slight issue regarding that. I'm not entirely sure whether I'll be rerunning for the role um just on account of the fact that you know not entirely sure these are people i want to be working with uh in the future but uh that's um a different matter okay well, uh, we so can swing yeah, back um, to that game, but
0: you, you did you did you did second the motion opposing hillary clinton's appointment yeah I that's right motion. isn't it
2: why did you do that uh i mean there's a couple of reasons i mean there's a the moral reason that i don't necessarily want you know well, I think I think a large body of the student body doesn't necessarily want someone who authorised 300 drone strikes in Pakistan killing 3,000 people, who supported the Honduran coup which killed you know environmental activist Bertha uh, Gaceras, who labelled African American men as super predators and has called for refugees to be sent back. You know all this kind of stuff that you know is against. I, I would feel what the student union and what I hope would be the university stands for. Um, uh, there's a, there's a whole list of reasons. I mean, there's also like the political reason, you know, and the fact that we living, you know, we are in a deeply divided society and there is a peace on at the moment, but you know, having someone who's been so heavily involved uh, in another deeply divided society in Israel, uh, being one of Net- Benjamin Bin- Netanyahu's greatest allies, there's no way that that can not cause contention. And, you know, I mean, I've spoken, I've spoken to so many, like, you know, students from Pakistan, Libya, Palestine, and, you know, many of them at the time of the appointment said that they thought they were going to drop out and that the appointment of the Chancellor for Queen's made them want to drop out. It's had a massive impact on their mental health. Um, but, looking looking uh, closer to Homemade and is it not the case that
0: Clinton has had a mark and a mark for the positive in terms of trying to encourage and engender peace here in Northern Ireland where Northern Irish University she's had a significant role in the Northern Irish peace process, is that not something that's worthy of consideration?
2: I think by, I mean there's this really weird archaic idea that can just be floating around that individuals these great and powerful individuals have so much of a say. Uh, the peace process was achieved by you know hundreds of thousands of you know committed people working in north of ireland northern ireland to find uh, a peace because you know it was a movement to find peace in the north of ireland slash northern ireland um you know by saying that you know this kind of foreign rich american woman just coming in and swanning in and uh you know saying oh you guys all settle down it's just incredibly patronizing and i feel there's a slap in the face to everyone who actually campaigned for peace um, and there's also like, you know, it was, it was more to do with Bill Clinton. And I feel that there's this kind of also really weird, archaic ideas that, you know, um, Bill Clinton did it. So Hillary, therefore, like Hillary Clinton also did it as well, because we still live in this idea that like, you know, a married, you know, married couple, they share their successes, you know. Um, well, she was first lady at the
0: time and certainly had a lot of power and influence in that position that she wielded on her own. Does any of this matter, though, I suppose, Aidan, I mean, the job of being an ambassador as chancellor your job is to be an ambassador for for qub abroad hillary clinton can certainly do that well can she not she's got global name recognition she sits in some very powerful places and can direct uh, a lot of people towards
2: queen's university does she not fit the job description i think she definitely appeals to the powerful as you said you know she's very good at getting into positions which you know represents their powerful you know the interests of the rich and the powerful however um, you know, I, I can imagine it must be very difficult for students who come from countries which is destabilized and led to mass murdering to say, "Yeah, Queens is a place I want to go to." After this, I think it's created a massive black mark in our name. Um, and to be honest with you, it's also, you know, I feel it's a little bit pathetic in a way that like there are plenty of other people who could work as an ambassador and could have the global connections. I'm sure there are, but you know, this kind of, Clint, this doesn't matter to Clinton. Clinton won't do this job because Clinton's got, you know, so many other things. Like, she couldn't even be asked to come out until, what, now? I mean, you say COVID's, you know, covid prevented <laughs> It's been a global cool. pandemic in the meantime, Aiden. I was, but, we, but we, I mean, we had American students coming in in September uh, and August, didn't we? I mean, if we had so many students coming in from America, could, could not have also made a visit as well? I mean, I I, I mean I don't know, but, you know, I know for a fact there are American, there were American students, um, uh, Queen. I think there's a distinction so, like, between those two things,
0: Eden. But let but let, let's talk mm-hmm. about the protests. So I mean, you were at the protest. A number of the protesters there held up signs, Eden, claiming that, that that Hillary Clinton is a war criminal. Do you honestly believe that?
2: Yeah, I mean, she authorized drone strikes, and you know, like I said before, to injure drone strikes in uh, Pakistan. Um, she facilitated the funding of arms to you know, well, supported the funding of arms to groups like Iraqi Al Qaeda against you know, which later became you know ISIS. Um, Supported, like I said before, supported the Honduran coup, um, and then, you know, supported, like, war crimes in, uh, you know, uh, Israel, you know, continued funding to, you know, Israel, even after... You know, there's war crimes in Gaza, war crimes in the West Bank, um, is are regularly brought forward. In the not, not,
0: it's, it's, it's a phrase of labeling somebody like a war criminal. Is that not just a huge generality that, that, that people know that they can get away with? I mean, I tried to do some digging on it. As far as I can see, the International Criminal Court only defies killing civilians as a war crime if the perpetrator, that's what you're accusing Hillary Clinton of being directed attacks against those civilians and intended for those civilians to be the object of the attack. I doubt that you can provide evidence that that's the case. So are you just saying that she's a war criminal because it's a good sounding thing to say, it sounds aggressive and it sounds important? I mean, it
2: really, see, there's an old phrase I think, and, you know, Jewish communities in Germany, which is that if you sit with, uh, you know, if you, uh, there's a Nazi sitting at the table and nine people are sitting around agreeing with them, then you've got 10 Nazis real like uh, realistically hillary clinton has not just you know endorsed war crimes um okay uh, realistically she probably hasn't sat there and pulled the trigger that we know of although she did authorize numerous drone strikes um Wait, so, so she's not actually a war
0: criminal No, you're saying she might have just been in the room with some other people who you think might have been
2: war criminals i mean it's a funny distinction to make like i mean if she's happy to you know if, if you give someone a gun, if I mean, yeah. If you give someone a gun and say, "Go kill, go kill that person," and then they kill that person, technically you know, you know—you haven't committed a murder. But you're an accessory. Oh, oh sorry. Suppose uh, you know on a on a placard on a sign, um, you know, accessory to war crimes might be a bit much to put on. Uh, it's a bit wordy. So is Barack Obama um, a war criminal then? Yeah. Right. Okay.
0: Is Bill Clinton a war criminal? Absolutely. Tony Blair. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like David Cameron. You, David Cameron?
2: Uh, what, well, after the series? Um, I mean, uh, Luke, I mean... <laughs> what's the the point of making well, this are you just not
0: just picking leaders with whom you profoundly disagree and labelling them as a war criminal?
2: I mean, I'm... Without any actual for basis for saying that. I'm picking leaders which I've seen the impacts of their policies on first hands on the ground in Palestine. I've seen the guns that they you know, used to kill children directly. Um, I've, you know... Um, yeah, I mean there are numerous amounts of uh, you know leaders who have adopted very aggressive but foreign policies in recent years.
0: The final thing um, I want to say,
2: and I want to I want to move on to
0: the issue though, Aidan, is it not the case though that uh, you know what you're doing is you're 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 finding things that you think are negative and saying that they're war crimes, and is that not deeply disingenuous and misleading? Because war crimes are a really dead serious thing, and they have a basis in international law. And actually, if yeah, you just I, lose the label whenever you want. It rather loses its meaning altogether. You disagree with some of the things that Hillary Clinton has done, but do you have actually have any basis in law to say that she's a war criminal?
2: Uh, I mean, one, I'm aware that war crimes are pretty horrific things. I did witness a few of them, um, and also, like I said, the legal system is usually based on helping the rich and the powerful. Uh, generally, like, I mean, like I said, Bill Clinton has yet to be charged for sexual assault, but you know. Um, and, you know, like, there's numerous kind of cases where the rich and the powerful have managed to get away from very hefty crimes. I'm fairly sure, like, I'd be very surprised, uh, you know, like, there hasn't been some kind of stuff behind the scenes to make sure that no kind of criminal charges were put forward. I'm sure there are numerous people who have tried to try Henry Clinton for war crimes, but it just has gone nowhere. Uh, But I need to do a bit more digging up on that wasn't.
0: uh, Well, these are
2: allegations and
0: stuff, Aidan. So I want to move on, though, as a final question, because I want to talk about the issue uh, and... And, and that half of the story, the final question I'll ask, though, on Clinton. I mean, in 2016, Aidan, would you have voted for Hillary Clinton?
2: No. Um. In 2016, uh, that, honestly, it's really hard to see in hindsight. Um. Yeah. At the time, I think, I mean, I remember being, at the time, I think I would have supported just over how bad Donald Trump was, but uh, it, it's really hard to see it. We know for a fact that she would have been a much more hawkish president and much more of a... Kind of warmongering warm president. I, 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 honestly, I don't know. Um, I'd have to spend. I spend a lot of time thinking about any okay. kind of votes. So, I don't know. Let's, let's talk that. about the SU then. Um, yeah. do you think looking
0: at kind of the, the facts of what you know, the motion said beforehand that the motion passed by the SU council, uh, which opposed Hillary Clinton's appointment, and you know what the SU uh, represented by its president said in the ceremony to install Hillary Clinton. Do you think that the SU president ignored the motion passed by the student council?
2: Um, no, I think they addressed the motion and then decided that they knew better than the democratic voice of the students. I think, uh, cause as we saw with the recent article that they were fully aware that this motion was in place. So it wasn't like they just decided not to look at it. They looked at it and thought, how can we find a way around this? Um, or, you know, how, how can we lie uh, or, you know, how, how can we present this? How can we spin this in a way that makes us look better despite not listen to the democratic voice of students.
0: Do you think, excuse me, do you think that students really care about the student council or the motions that are passed
2: by it? I mean, I've spoken to a lot of students who weren't on student council who have said the same thing. And I think, honestly, I I suspect, okay, so there's a lot of apathy um, towards the student council. I'd guarantee most people probably wouldn't be able to tell you what it is. I think there's actually more antipathy towards the student union officers. So... To say, i've seen a lot of people saying i don't even know what student council is but the fact that this has happened shows that the students union officers are even more removed from the student body than we thought um which you know and i think it's also like you know a great scene of seeing the student officers who's supposed to be these kind of radical activists but on the same side of the police line as you know these lords and aristocratic names and you know you know they're kind of the, they great and the powerful and then you've got kind of working class organisations on the other side of it, shouting, you know, a variety of stuff at them. Um, I, I, know, suppose, I, I suppose, think it sends a bit
0: of a I suppose, even the other way of looking at it is, uh, you know, Katie McLeara, as the SU president, was elected in, in spring 2021. That motion was passed over a year earlier. You could make the argument that she has an updated mandate from the student population. And so uh, she, she, she used that uh, by representing students in the way that she was elected to do.
2: Uh, I mean, she, that wasn't part of a manifesto. Like, I mean, if she had put that as a manifesto, I'd be really interested to see what the turnout would be regarding that, um, saying, yes, I'm going to t- toss this motion aside. Uh, no, motions stay in place for years, um, unless they are voted out. There needs to be a democratic process in this. They don't really have the authority, or they shouldn't have the authority to do whatever they like. This isn't a dictatorship. Um, and as far as I can see, it's completely not, utterly lost most of the legitimacy that anyone really has for these people.
0: Mm-hmm. I and, and and sort of a, as as we approach the end of the conversation, naden the I mean, this ship had sailed. The SU couldn't stop Hillary Clinton being appointed as chancellor. Don't you think it would would it have appeared? Do you think petulant, maybe childish, for the SU as representatives of the student body to kind of sit and huff in the corner while it, while a very important moment in a, a major event in the life of the university took place? Would that not have been petulant and childish?
2: I mean, the. Um students union were actually mandated to uh, protest against it. Um, and they were also mandated to uh, argue for a referendum on the matter. Um, we neither of which they've done. Um, they were trying to push for a referendum, but you know, this hasn't happened. Um, and uh, I'm not entirely sure what you know. I mean, you say about like petulance, but again, like I mean there's much more, I would think, to making a political principled standpoint against, you know, someone who goes against Queens' values. Um, or at least the values of the students' union, and standing up for the community groups, uh, many of which have reached out, to, you know, and said we want to campaign against this. And that would have, I think, that would have made a much better, you know, role, Especially, you know, as as a students' union, you should be there to unite the students, not to be associated with people like that. Um, and then again, like there's, you know, I can't see how this doesn't look bad for the students' union. You know, we're going in there, you know, saying we're radicals, and then just sucking up to. You know, people who, again, call African-Americans, you know, fucking super predators um, and, you know, want refugees deported while also saying, we want a ref- university, a sanctuary. Like, it, it, it's, you know, and it just, like, Hillary Clinton is not going to remember any of these people's names. Like, the the fact that they're going there and overflowing with compliments just seems more, I don't know, um, it, it just seems pathetic, to be
0: honest with you, like. Do you think, though, Aiden? I mean... What's your view of where the student body is on this? Don't you think that most students either don't care that Hillary Clinton is a chancellor, or are kind of broadly supportive? I mean, your side of the uh, argument, I mean, your side of the argument, might be better represented on a student council, for example. But do you think it is representative of the student body at large?
2: I mean, I haven't spoken to twenty-four thousand students, but I know for a fact that they haven't either. Um, like, I've, I've not like every every person I've spoken to in the last week has said something atrocious and that's not just you know that, that, that's that's not just like where I'm living in the holy Lands. that's like numerous people from you know very different backgrounds you know it's uh, I, I, I would say that like from from like the small sample size I can't speak on behalf of the you know every single student um but what what I will say is that like I was elected on the mandate I was I made it very clear that when I was elected which was i think 1700 votes, something like that uh, it was on a basis of I would be anti-imperialist. Like, I made that very clear, you know, to numerous uh, comments that I would be standing up against the kind of, you know, against imperialism that Queen's facilitates. Okay. Now, I, I obviously, like, that's 1,700 people out of, you know, God knows how many, you know, 24,000. But it's... You know, I, I would say that, you know, in terms of like the opposition, it was still, you know, 16% when they were like for the candidates. As, uh,
0: maybe that, maybe that's ahead. Maybe that's as, ahead. As, a, as a final question, Aidan, Um, so uh, well, we're still to find out exactly uh, whether you're still in position as SU environmental officer, you've been suspended, perhaps reinstated. We'll put a question mark over that. As somebody highly engaged in, in student politics at Queen's, I mean, um, are you going to be doing anything about this? Will you be trying to 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 move further motions in, in the student council, impeach anybody? What's your next step as somebody who's involved in student politics? Uh,
2: I'm, I'm aware that there are a lot of people who do want to take them accountable. Um, as for myself, uh, as I said before, I, I lived in Palestine. I, I saw a huge amount of violence there and I've spent a lot of time uh, recovering uh, my mental health from what I saw there. I think it would be quite challenging I've yet, I've yet to decide ultimately whether I'm going to run for anything this year, but I think it'd be extremely challenging for myself to um, engage with these individuals who I know shook hands with someone that, well, at least in my view, were, was responsible for, like, the, the people I saw being murdered in front of me. Um, and it, I mean, that, that, that's a personal thing. That's not a political point. That's just, like, a personal thing that I'm going to struggle to uh, run for anything. I'm still deciding that that's going to be the case. Okay. Aidan, Aiden, thank you
0: very yeah. much. We're going to have to, uh, we, we chatted loads, I appreciate you coming on. Aidan Moran there, uh, who seconded the motion opposing Clinton's appointment as Chancellor of Queen's University in early 2020. Aidan, thanks very much for being with us.
2: Thanks very much. Cheers.
0: OK, let's talk now about one of the stories which has dominated news here at Queen's over the last few weeks, especially for new students, accommodation. The Scoop has been on top of this story from the very beginning, bringing new news before anyone else, so let's do a really quick rundown. On the 8th of September, just a few short weeks before the start of the university term, we broke the news that Queen's accommodation was so oversubscribed that all students who were guaranteed or offered a room in Queen's accommodation this year would be offered £1,500 to give up their place. Students were emailed and had just four days to accept this offer, and Queen's warned at that stage that students living within 40 miles of the university should highly consider that offer. Then, just under a week later and mere days before freshers began, Queen's confirmed that students who live within 40 miles of QUB and hadn't yet been allocated a room would not be provided with accommodation and that those students would have to commute into university unless they could somehow find other accommodation. So that's locations as far away as Kilkeel, Cookstown and Ballamoney. Students who live more than 40 miles from QUB, so Derry, Londonderry, Oma, much of the north coast, Uh, would need to commute for up to a month before moving into accommodation. Now the university say there's been unprecedented demand for accommodation this year, partly due to the pandemic, and that they have worked hard to resolve this problem as quickly as possible by increasing the supply of housing, working with private accommodation providers, and by reducing demand through those incentives. They also say they're working on providing students with short-term one to two night B&B style accommodation in the coming weeks. Well, one of the students who accepted that offer of £1,500 was Sam Hayslitt from Waringstown, a first-year student of international relations and politics. Sam, thank you so much for being with us. Oh. Um, very briefly, I suppose, when you received that email, 8th of September, offering you that incentive of £1,500, was that your kind of first indication that something wasn't quite right in terms of you getting accommodation at Queen's for starting your first year?
3: Well, no, uh, I already knew by that point that there wasn't really anything, uh, which was why I was quite surprised to get the email. I had thought it was for people who had been asked to give up offers of accommodation, whereas I hadn't got any in the first place. Uh, by that point, it was already quite clear uh, that most places were, were full up, most places had had reached capacity. Uh, and I was already on a, an awful lot of waiting lists by the time that that email arrived. So when you saw that offer, I mean, did you did you
0: jump to take it, or did you have a think about whether it'd be better to hang on? What was kind of running through your mind when you read that?
3: Well, I I knew especially because of the the forty mile limit that Queens had brought out that there wasn't a chance I was going to get any Queens accommodation. So I thought, that, you know, I'd, I'd be mad not to accept. the 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 incentive, Uh, but I suppose yeah, it was a definite sort of, it was a definite sign that I wasn't going to get anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What talk me through kind of the attempts that you've made to get accommodation because you must have had some sleepless nights over it. I mean, uh, to what extent? Talk me through how difficult it's been getting your name on all these waiting lists. Well, it hasn't
3: been, I suppose, that difficult getting my name on waiting lists, but it has been a bit of a pain going from place to place uh, to try and see if there's anywhere, and they've said, no, there isn't anywhere left. So uh, uh, I've put my name on a good lot of waiting lists for, uh, I think, Strandmellis, some of the live student places, uh, some of the big new buildings up near the the Ulster University Arts Centre, and then I think John Bell House as well, but uh, there's a good lot of places, but I still haven't got any news from, from anyone. So that means, I suppose, for now anyway, you're commuting
0: from Waringstown. What's that like? Talk me through what a week
3: or a day looks like for you. Well, uh, some days of the week I can get a lift from my parents, but they work. So sometimes they won't be available. If I have to get a bus, I get a bus into Lurgan. And then the way the bus timetable works, I have to wait about half an hour, 40 minutes in Lurgan. Uh and then get the train up to once. Once I'm on the train, it's 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 fine. It just goes usually goes straight through. Uh, obviously the Botanic. Uh, but the the bus thing is a bit of a is a bit of a pain, I suppose, because you have to wait, which means you have to you know get up earlier and all that sort of stuff. So if you got if you got an early lecture, you're really up from the crack of dawn. Yeah. So I mean, what from from kind of
0: leaving your front door to walking into Queen's campus to give me an idea of
3: what kind of durations that hmm, really depends it can it can be up to again as I say if I can't get a lift and I have to get the bus that's what about 10 minutes in the bus with 40 minutes in Lurgan so that's almost an hour before I actually get on the train so it could be up to an hour and a half hmm. from somewhere what about you know 20-25 minutes away by car you know and that's expensive too, Sam. Yeah. So about a, a return ticket, I, I, I've even got the third off student card with TransLink and the the the, the ticket uh, it's about seven, I think 7.30 for a return from Lurgan to Botanic. So that, it adds up what about 28 pounds a, a week. And then obviously the bus fare isn't that much, but you know, over time it will, it will add up. Uh, I suppose that's a bit of a hassle. It's more
0: than a bit of a hassle i mean it's it's, it's yeah it's really not it's ideal a, yeah do you have a part-time job
3: or something that, that you know no no not not at the moment i did during the summer uh but then i had to give, give it up for coming to university and uh i, I am looking for somewhere at the moment but still uh, at the moment not earning uh it is obviously expensive and you're studying a humanities degree you know so that's not
0: you're not in nine to five every day like no. it would be if perhaps you were, you know, a medic or, a, or or a dentistry student. Um what's that like knowing that you're you're occasionally having to to mount a quite substantial commute for you know an hour, maybe two
3: yeah, hours. Lectures? Well I mean uh, my timetable basically goes that uh, Tuesday is a very busy day, two tutorials and three lectures. So generally once you're up, you're up for the day. But the rest of the days, for instance, Monday and Wednesday, I think it is, it's just one lecture. Uh, so one hour. So if you're living up there, you're that takes up an hour of your day. But for me, you know, you can be out of the house at about, say, of a lecture at two o'clock, the way the train times and all work, I can be out of the house about 12 and not back until about five or six. So that's a that's pretty much a whole day gone for an hours, for an hours work done.
0: What does that feel like in terms of you know you get to the end of the day and you know look at what you've achieved in the day?
3: Well, I, I suppose it isn't very. Yeah, I suppose when you look at sort of what what you've done during the day, you've really sort of wasted a whole day for just about an hours uh work but i suppose on the other hand i'm coming from from secondary school where obviously you you would be out of the house from you know eight to four every day so it doesn't seem that much of a of a of a change or a big thing but i suppose when you think about it you're out of the house for that long for just an hour of of doing something
0: productive i suppose in that sense um I mean, would online learning or, or, or online lectures actually kind of help you out? Or for you, is it worth it for that kind of face-to-face
3: interaction? I, I personally think that online things just don't work for a lot of people. And for me in particular, they, they didn't really uh, work. I, I'm only basing this, again, off off secondary school, because obviously with the lockdown and there was an awful lot of things on Zoom and and all those sorts of things. I, 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 I wasn't sure that was re- that really worked Uh I I don't think that would really solve the problem because I think it, it is better with face-to-face and things like that. So I sort of have to be up there. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And socializing, I suppose, Sam, I mean, uh, um, how has that affected things? I mean, I'm not saying that you would be out until four or five in the morning anyway, but, you know, there's certainly probably not that many. There are fewer late night trains back to Lurgan and I suppose even fewer buses from Lurgan to Waringstown, how has it affected that kind of aspect of the freshers experience?
3: Uh, well to be honest I, I don't really know, I haven't really been bothered to be honest with you you know after going up and all the hassle with transport and stuff and then getting there and the and then going to the lecture itself, I usually just want to get home you know. Uh, I don't really have much of a, a motivation to stay, to stay up there. I mean, I was going to try and go to the, the speakeasy once and then somebody told me the, the length of the queue. So I thought, you know what, stuff this, I'm getting on the train. It might be longer than the train journey. Yeah, yeah it might well be. Uh, so I, I, I can't really comment, I suppose, on how it would affect the the sort of social thing because of the transport thing I haven't really been bothered
0: but that's a bit of a shame though isn't it sam i mean people in some ways come to university to to do a bit of socializing and i don't mean that just in terms of you know getting drunk and staying out late i mean making friends you know uh, um trying to trying to make connections and, and and learn from other people has that been a disappointment in some ways that you find yourself at the end of the day just too tired to
3: be bothered uh, i suppose yeah it is a bit disappointing you know I, I think you'd get more of the experience if you were living up there Uh, and yeah, it is a bit of a disappointment, but I suppose, again, as I say, I don't really have the, I I haven't really had the alternative, so I don't really know.
0: Yeah. And, and, and Sam, you know, how, I suppose, has your opinion of, of Queens changed at all as somebody coming to the university? Do you feel any sense of disappointment in, in, in Queens as to not managing the situation a bit better, or is your perspective that, you know, there's a big problem here?
3: well i mean it's it is disappointing but at the same time i think I, i'm not sure it's really queens fault completely i mean they probably should have recognized that after after lockdown people would have wanted to get away from from home and stay somewhere different but at the same time you know you can't expect them to just make buildings appear out of out of nowhere uh, and, I, and I suppose it, it does make sense that the that, that people from, you know, across the water in England or from further afield should be prioritised for the accommodation.
0: Yeah. And a final question, I suppose, Sam, you know, it's now, what are we, week two maybe of university? Uh, you're spending a, you know, a, a, a not insignificant amount of money travelling up. It's been a bit tiring and, and bothersome for you. Are there any hopes that you'll get accommodation in Belfast, or is this just it? I mean, it might be kind of disappointing now, but it might be
3: more than a bit painful come March. Well, uh, I I'm keeping my ears open and I'm 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 keeping myself informed about anything that comes up, but so far nothing has really reared its head, and I'm, I'm keeping my, my my emails and all, of course, like that, but so far nothing. No, okay. Sam, I wish you the best
0: in in trying to find somewhere. Hopefully something comes up for you. I hope you enjoy the first uh, year of university just as much anyway. And thanks so much for being with us. Sam Haslett there, first year student who accepted that incentive of £1,500. Sam, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, let's push on with the show. Last week, The Scoop brought you news that staff at Queen's University and Ulster University will be balloted from the 18th of October on taking strike action. If the ballots are successful, strikes would start before Christmas and continue into the spring semester, according to the UCU. Some students will have been studying during the last series of UCU strikes, which took place in the autumn of 2019 and then for two weeks in early 2020. Staff will be balloted by the UCU, that's a union that represents university and college staff on both their pension scheme and on pay and working conditions including things like casualization. So far the National Union of Students has backed staff planning to strike. Uh, this group asked the QUBSU for comment on this issue last week. Let me just read the full comment to you for context. The uh, QUBSU said it's disappointing and concerning the universities and the UCU have failed to reach agreement on these long-running issues of pensions pay and conditions. We would encourage them to seek to resolve this issue in advance of any decision on strike action. If the UCU votes in favour of strike action, the decision on whether or not Queen Students Union will support the strike will be brought before Student Council to be debated." And the Scoop also asked the Ulster SU for comment and received no response. Well, I'm joined now by Robert Murta, a former president of NUSUSI. That's a union representing all students in Northern Ireland and by Aidan Lamas, editor of The Gown. Thank you both very much for being with me. Aidan, you're a student. You wrote a piece an editorial this week in The Gown arguing kind of against staff taking strike action. What's your thinking?
4: Well, it's not that I'm against strike action. I've read, well, I say I've read, I've overviewed what it is that the UCU is asking for. And to be honest with you, it's quite reasonable that they want better working conditions and all the rest of it. What I'm against is that students like myself who joined in the first year, Uh, when the pandemic started, have yet to have a full year on campus. We've still been paying the same rates as years before, or at least, you know, as they've been coming through. Um, And I just don't think that it's fair right now, considering how vilified students have been for the past 18 months, to then be told, now you need to go on strike again so that we can sort ourselves out.
0: But do you think you're directing your anger at the wrong people? I mean, the university take your money, and it will be staff who are striking. It's maybe the media who you think are vilifying students. It's not them that are deciding to strike.
4: No, I, I don't think I'm directly in the wrong place at all. I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, you know, you're right. It was the media that vilified people, but it was also, you know, the everyday man on the street. who also had something to say. I experienced that myself on numerous occasions. Uh, and yes, it is true that the university are the ones that take our money. I'm not backing the university in this. I think, you know, they do need to treat their staff respectfully, just not now, or at least the strike action shouldn't happen right now. Students need continuity, which they've yet to have. And what would your assessment
0: be, in on you know, how many students, the proportion of students that would agree with you?
4: I think a considerable amount. Um, the gown does not often get students coming up to us or writing to us saying, oh, I liked that piece. But we've been inundated with support for the position that the gown's taken. A lot of people are frustrated and annoyed and just want to have the education that they're paying for.
0: Well, Robert, I mean, you've got a lot of expertise in this area. You were in the Queen's SU and then in the uh, NUS-USI during the last period of, of strikes. I wonder, first of all, how did you kind of choreograph this at that stage from the per- perspective of students? And what's your assessment now on whether students would support strike action taking place before the end of this term?
5: Yeah, it, it, it's, look, it's an incredibly difficult issue. Um, and Um, I don't think anybody is going to sort of um, make light of it. Um, It was difficult the last time. Um, I I ran on a platform that was very clear um, that there are systemic issues within higher education that affect both students and staff. Um, And in order to tackle those systemic issues, we need a staff-student alliance. We need staff-student solidarity. Because, because we face the same issues, um, the root cause of, of the issues that we have, whether it's increasing accommodation costs, hidden course costs, um, you know, less money in students' pockets, mental health issues, and at the same time, then the staff are facing cuts in pensions, casualization of contracts, increase in gender and uh, BME pay gaps. The fundamental root of the problem here is the marketization of higher education. So what we, what we need to do and, and what I tried to do, and I think actually worked quite well. Um, was create that staff-student alliance and say, you know, enough is enough. The staff and students are feeling this. We need to get to the root cause of the problem. Um,
0: but do you think? Do you not think? I mean, Robert, is there an asymmetry here, which is that you know, for for a member of staff, this represents a period of strike represents a tiny proportion of their overall maybe career within you know uh, within the fields. Um, uh, within the within the period of time working for the university, whereas for a student, it represents, a, you know, a, a considerable proportion of the amount of time that they spend in school. Is it reasonable to ask students in the short term, you know, right now, to be prepared to put up with strike action, all the difficulties that come with that, especially for students who may be a little bit further on in their education, PhD, dissertation, is it a right to ask them to sacrifice something for a benefit that they'll likely never see because they'll have left university by that stage?
5: Well, what what I would say... Uh, is um, no, students shouldn't shouldn't be put in this position, but they're in this position because of the intransigence of university management over the last five years, because this is an issue that has been going on for a long, long time. And and Aidan, you you, you mentioned it at the start, when you look at the issue here, you you see that there is a real issue that staff in higher education are facing. You know, whether it is the pay gaps and casualization of contracts, which we again, we also know have an impact on students, uh, because when you have a lecturer or a, a tutor that's on a casual contract, and you can't get in touch with them outside of those con- contract hours and all that kind of stuff and they have less time to dedicate to your actual class that affects the quality of the education that you that you get. So I'm saying what, what I'm saying is it's not fair that students are put in this position. It's not fair that staff. Are being put in that position so there is only one place to point the finger of blame at, and it is management who have had five years to solve this issue and have failed time and time and time
0: robert is there something to be said for the fact a critic might say at some stage the ucu need to say we've lost this battle you know is it reasonable i ask you to continually have periods of strike action that sort of go on and on and on over years and years and years. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. At some point, does the UCU need to say we've lost?
5: Well, that that, that'll, that will be decided by UCU members. Um, which again, you know we're almost talking as if strike action here is an inevitability and, yeah. and it's not um, and, and obviously you know the members will will have a, a chance to make their voice heard on on whether they want strike action and, and look the fact of the matter is while they continue to get a mandate in favor of strike action that, that's what they will do because that's what their membership is saying. So you know I think it, it is it is very much a case of let the members have their say and if the members are, are still willing to continue to fight, then, then they should continue to fight. But, but there, there is a, there is. A, I, I can't stress this enough. The, the issues that we face higher education affect students and staff. And to be honest, I'm a wee bit disappointed just hearing what he said there, because because there is there is there's an opportunity here, uh, from people within you know the student movement, the guy in the student union, whatever. It is not an inevitability that students will get annoyed at the strikes. And we found out the last time, because the last time students were annoyed that their their studies were disrupted, but they were directing their anger at the place it needed to be directed at, which was management. It's very easy to turn around and say, let's blame those out on strike, but actually they're not the people that we should be blaming. We should be saying it's management of the reason why the okay, strike Okay,
0: down. Robert, I mean, in what about that? Is it the case, do you think, that in well, this series of strikes firstly, and the last series of strikes, that anger isn't being directed in the way in which you characterise it being?
4: Firstly, I'd like to say, Robert, I think you're right. I think it's important that staff are treated properly and given a safe and, and a viable workplace. But that point about the last strikes was before we had a pandemic that decimated education for students. Now... Don't get me wrong, I'm not one of those people who about start, start blaming staff at Queen's for the pandemic. You know, I'm not an idiot. Nevertheless, uh, students were isolated. They were left alone. They got a very low quality of education at the same rate that so they were still paying. And now we're being told that we have to go on strike as well. Because this is the thing, the UCU has the vote, but students are the ones that get affected as well. We have no real say in this. We just have to go with whatever happens. And I just don't think it's fair on students. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not against staff being given safe and proper working conditions. But at the same time, sort of on that point you touched on earlier, Thomas, it's important that students get what they're paying for, for the full extent that they're paying for it. You know, staff can easily go on, they could have easily gone on strike at the start of this term, this year, and again, it's not happened yet, and it may not happen, but let's say it had. If it had gone on at the start of this term, if it was happening now, it wouldn't be as much of an issue as it would be if it was happening at the end of the year, because that is the halfway point of the academic year, which is a very pivotal time for a lot of students. And, and Robert, I'd
0: like you to respond to that. And then also the thought of, I suppose, and it's in there in what Aidan said, you know, regardless of who is responsible, and clearly you have very strong opinions and most people have very strong opinions about who is responsible. The end consequence is the same, which is that students end up with, uh, uh, no education or, or, or dramatically reduced education as a consequence of strikes yes. for a period of time, you know, that's the end result, regardless of who's responsible. Uh, and, and, is it fair for that to be put on students without them really having a no, say?
5: It's it's not. It, it absolutely isn't. But that's my point, is that it's not the staff's fault that, that, that this is happening. So there, there's, there's, But the so staff sort of, could prevent uh, it
0: happening but, by not but, voting for a strike. But,
5: but, and, and this comes back to the argument that, that Aidan was making. And look, I have full sympathy with the argument. I absolutely do. But I think there is a point here at which you say, you know, when, when we were going through the, the strikes the last time um, in 20, 2019 or whatever it was, um, there was the same argument then, which is just not now. There's the, every time the argument comes up and it's not now or, you know, we're not against it at all, but we'll, you know, maybe there's better times and all the rest of it. The problem with that argument is that there's never going to be a good time. The whole point of striking. Well, right
0: after a bad pandemic, really, right after a global pandemic is a particularly I mean, that is a bad time, is it not, Robert?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, i just like to jump in there. It, I'm, it's, I don't think that's an actual, uh, an accurate assessment of this saw. I think Thomas is right, it's about the pandemic. You know, at the last strikes, again, before the pandemic, it was, and I believe I write about this in my editorial, it was seen as an inconvenience, but nevertheless, it was somewhat supported to varying extents. Then we had the pandemic. Students got next to no support at all. Any support they did get, they had to go out and find or fight for, as, as we saw with the, the 500 pounds that came out in Northern Ireland. If we go on strike, if the UCU go on strike now, students will have no say, they'll have no input, there'll be no benefit for them. I really don't see it as being that case, uh, but they'll still be paying for it and they'll still be left there so, to do the work.
5: So I suppose my, my question, my question, Aidan, is like, I, again, I, I totally understand the point around around the pandemic. Um, and and look it's it's not an ideal sort of time or, or situation but there there are time frames that have to be looked at as well because of the the pension scheme so it's it's not as if this is being done now because it has to be done now but or because sorry because to, it's it's you know um yeah to, you know do you know what i mean it, it's not yeah like we, we don't we don't, don't know what things do is
4: being malicious about this
5: yeah yeah well so so the 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 point that i was uh, that i was just going to make is that you know if, if you keep sort of moving it down down the line yes you know the the whole point of it is is, is disruption the whole point of it is to say we as a staff member so i suppose my question is if you if you have a staff member who's on a casual contract right uh who is teaching and um, who's been on a casual and i and then there are people like this who have been on casual contracts in queens for you know five ten years postdocs all the rest of it right. Uh, you have, you know, members of staff, women, black minority ethnic members of staff who have been constantly overseeing for uh, motion. You know, you have staff that have, have had their pensions cut consistently for the last five years. I suppose the point I'm saying is they're not the people that we need to be saying are, are causing the disruption here. It the, the management have said time and time again that they're not going to actually do you anything real about these issues for five years they've had an opportunity to come forward to the table to look at the uss pension uh, and also to make sure to have um strategies in place to deal with these with gender pay gaps and casualization of contracts. okay Rob, faced... robert
0: Rob, so, Rob, i want to ask about i mean uh, the position of students unions and we'll include nus usi and that as well you know I, I remember talking to a student officer during the last round of strikes who were telling me that it was what their words was it was tricky enough to make that argument at the time because you know you do need to make an argument the one that you've just made that what is yeah. in staff's interest and students interest they said you know sometimes it's tricky enough to make that argument at the time from a student's union perspective do you think after a year of a pandemic could they sell that position to students now
5: 100% Thomas I, do you I, really think so I fundamentally believe so um, and what so I think that's
0: it... where we've got the difference between you and it's um, about yeah, whether well, but, students that... can be sold that
5: yeah, but but because I was in that position. Yeah. I was in a position where I had to sell. So so I because you know the mandate that I had and because of my belief that, you know, these that the, the, there is a common route to these problems, I I, I said I, I advised our members to come out strongly in favor of um the strike action. But to make sure that we were getting the arguments across, this is this is leadership, right? This is this is but hold on, let, let me just finish the point.
0: Okay. From I'm waiting to come in.
5: Yeah, yeah. There's following and then there's leadership. Sometimes taking a position that it may seem unpopular, but actually can change opinion. And that's what we're talking about. That's leadership. Just following and just saying we're going to follow what everyone else is thinking. That's not leadership. That's, an, that's a failure of leadership. That's a rejection of leadership. So there is an opportunity to say, to, to explain to students what the issues are. Because if, they, if it's explained, But I mean, the, Robert, the last know, round
0: of strikes didn't change opinion, did it? Because nothing well, they changed.
5: Did, they did because if anyone turns around and says to me in the last strikes that students weren't supportive of the UCU strikes, I would turn around and say, well, that wasn't my experience. That, yes, look, like, I'm not saying there was 100% support and, and obviously there were students that were, that were angry. Well, according to actually, the student room, it was 40, 47% of students supported it. What's that?
0: According to the student room, now it's not scientific, but 47% of students report were supported the last round of UCU strikes that's the only point well, well, i will i
5: that's the first i've heard of that that, that figure sure but, but 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 my point is you know we, we whenever i we were having conversations with students you know uh, during that time mm-hmm. they were angry yes they were angry they were angry that they were disrupted but they were actually directing their anger towards man okay and Aiden, that's, Aiden. That's leadership.
0: okay in uh, clearly this is where the disagreement is it's about whether yeah. students can be sold that and i don't mean by the way sold in a pejorative sense it's about making an argument do you think that that's an argument that could be persuasive to students in the next what
4: you know two months for me i think it all comes back down to the pandemic that's the real crucial point about it if we hadn't just had a full academic year or more or less a full academic year of being isolated at home i think actually support for the striking students would be up there you know, it would be in the, I don't know if it'd be another student room statistic figure or whatever, but it would be a significant number of the students would. But after the treatment that students received, no, I, I can't imagine that many students are going to turn around and go, yeah, we're going to support everyone else or we're going to support staff. When, you know, I'm not going to point fingers, but I've been given names of members of staff for my own friends. I, I write by somebody I was very fortunate that the tutors and lecturers I had during the pandemic were fantastic. But I've also been told by friends of mine that their, you know, their lecturers, their tutors were awful. And, you know, I appreciate in the pandemic we were, we were all in it together. It was that whole sort of that idea. And, you know, in that staff, you know, they're still people. They still went through the pandemic themselves. They had their own stresses. But at the end of the day, there was support out there for them, whereas for students, there wasn't any. Or at least if there was, it was very minimalistic. Yeah. Okay, Talk, we, so we, can
5: I just, can just okay. come in? Just one quick thing. You've got one
4: one sentence, Robert.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This. It was it was just to say because I think you're right, Eden, around the treatment that that students face during the pandemic. And I suppose that my argument would be I think then actually that's fertile ground to say the same people that have treated you poorly during the pandemic are the same people that are treating staff poorly. Okay.
0: okay, that was a compound sentence, Robert.
5: The can I
4: just think, make one final point if it's, on that. Okay, yeah, wait, right, fine, long, fine. Sure. It can't be a compound <laughs> sentence. Go. No, um, my only disagreement there is that this strike action would only benefit staff, not students.
0: Well, Robert, but Robert's argument is that it would benefit students, it, it, sort of, no, know, gender engender benefits I, students. I, I, I disagree with that. Okay, well, okay, the final thing I want to finish up with, because we can go back and forth in this game of tennis all day. Uh, each of you, I kind of your message to the, a, a union like the QUBSU, should they support this strikes robert i mean i know that you're going to say something like it'll you know, people vote on it whatever what would your opinion be
5: i, I look i would i would i it would be sort of wrong for me to say anything other because i've been consistent throughout my whole time in the student movement and um, while i i obviously it's up for student council to make that decision and, and the officer team will have these discussions um I, I would i would firmly urge them to support but not 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 sort of piecemeal i think if you're going to support it which i think you should you need to actually campaign you need to change the public opinion you can't just support it and sit back yeah. if you're going to support it you need to communicate why you're supporting it why it affects students and you need to get people on side and i think that can happen yeah um, and i think okay,
4: the well, let's go big or go home is from robert okay That's um great. and aiden um well obviously i don't want the student union to support it uh, i want the student union to support students and i read through the manifestos of the president, campaigns and engagement and the education officers. And all three of them have made pledges that if they were to support this strike, they would be violating. They would be jeopardizing the mental health of students. They would be disregarding the communities that they all go against. And they'd be putting staffing themselves ahead of students which i think is a terrible thing for students it's not, it's not. okay okay robert robert people know
0: what your response to that will be so listen aiden uh Lamas, editor of the guy robert murta uh former president of nususi thank you so much we'll have to have you both back on again if this situation develops who knows it's not develop it's not inevitable that it will thank you both so much for being with me
4: Cheers. thank you
0: Okay, let's move on. We're back to -to face-to-face teaching on campus, and while many students are delighted to be returning in person, it's not good news for everyone, particularly those who are still vulnerable or with family members still vulnerable to COVID-19. I'm joined now by Rebecca Dobbin-Donaghy from the Scoop News team, who's here to give us an idea of what Queen's have said about protecting students and staff from covid while on campus. Rebecca, thank you very much for being with us. No problem. Let's go through each of these major measures against COVID. In turn, we'll start with social distancing. Why don't we? What has the university said so far?
6: Okay, so um, in terms of social distancing, it is slightly different depending on whether you are a student or a member of staff. So for students, we don't have to socially distance from one another in any university space. So that includes like the library, any social or study spaces or lecture theatres. However, according to NI executive regulations if you are in a workplace you must social distance so that means that any staff must social distance from each other and ourselves so there's no social distance in between students but all staff must remain two meters away at all and times. that includes
0: lecturers doesn't it so if yes, you're in a does. lecture theater you need to be legally two meters away from the lecturer okay what about face masks
6: um, again, in um, Executive Guidance requires students to wear face coverings in teaching um, and learning study spaces, including the library. Um, students are required to wear face masks all times when moving around campus or campus buildings, including in corridors.
0: Okay. And is that guidance, do we think?
6: Um, yes, it does appear to be guidance. Um, the university has said that it's a requirement, but in terms of executive guidance, it is it is just guidance.
0: Okay, and um, what about testing on campus?
6: So, Queen's are providing free on-campus asymptomatic testing, um, which they have been doing for quite a while now that they, they were seem to be one of the first that I can remember that were are providing asymptomatic testing. Um, they're also providing home tests um, and they're just basically encouraging all students and staff to get tested regularly whether they have any symptoms or anything like that. Um, they should be getting tested every week or so um, just to make sure that everyone's staying safe on campus.
0: And and the really big measure, I suppose, against covid Rebecca, for the whole, you know, the whole country, indeed the whole world's vaccination. So what has Queen said to students about, about getting vaccinated?
6: Um, so Queen's have basically just went straight down the line of vaccinations are the most effective way to protect against serious illness. And they've just encouraged all staff and students who have not already done so to register for vaccination as soon as possible. They are working alongside um, the Belfast Health and Social Care Trust, as well as the public health agency to try and support um, and encourage as many students as possible to get vaccinated if they haven't already done so. Um, they did bring in a couple of measures just to help this Um, during the summer and just before um, university started again, they did have a pop-up vaccination centre for a few days.
0: Okay, and um, and I know there's a lot of debates going on in the executive at the moment about vaccine passports, so we'll have to wait and see how that affects campus. Does that mean there will be vaccine passports, for example, to get into the speakeasy? We'll have to keep an eye on that. What about uptake amongst the kind of student-age population in the country? Is it good? Is it bad? Somewhere in between?
6: Um, Well, it is the lowest. Um, well, other than the age 16 to 17, which, of course, you can't expect to be the lowest because it's only been open for such a short time. Um, The 18 to 29 bracket, which where you would expect to find most university age students, um, is the second lowest. It's just over 74 percent of people in that age group are vaccinated. And it is also across the board, across the board in all age groups, um, seems to be substantially lower in men being vaccinated than it is women. Um, it is, it could be a fear for that. There has, the vaccinations has been open for quite a long time for that age group. So um, if people haven't been vaccinated already, there is questions to be asked as to why that is.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I wonder sort of in a student population, if that figure is roughly the same or if it's slightly different, we won't be able to get stats on that specifically. And what do Queen say, you know, if you get COVID, so you felt you, you felt some of the symptoms, you get tested, you know that you have received a positive test. What are the next steps for students?
6: Okay, so if you have started to feel symptoms and are self-isolating before you even get a test, you should notify the university. They do have um, a COVID update portal as well as a response team that you can get a phone number for quite easily on um, the Queen's website. But it, then if you do test positive, um, you'll be given guidance by um, the health authorities directly from that. Um, and as well, you should update your Stop covid NI app. Then from there, you should update... Where you'd already said that you're self isolating, you should update that to say that you have taken a positive test. Um, that's really important so that Queen's can identify maybe any close contacts um, that there might be amongst um, students, for example, in a class.
0: OK. Um, and what about the academic support for students? Because that was a really big part of a lot of students experiences last year. Um, we had those sort of forty eight hour flexible deadlines, didn't we? There was quite a lot of self certification for COVID for, uh, for extensions to a lot of deadlines. Are they all gone? Is there any kind of COVID measure still in place when it comes to academic performance?
6: Um. Th- yeah, there has been quite a few of those things dropped. So in terms of deadlines, that forty eight hour deadline is gone. Um there is no longer a window deadlines are just plan um, for any continuous assessment or coursework submitted after a deadline it is back to normal um, if you've no approved extension there is going to be a late penalty um, but otherwise you can still apply for exceptional circumstances Covid will still be taken as um, a, 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 an exceptional circumstance for you so that can be for a number of things so that could be the fact that you have Covid yourself um, if you are isolating or distance learning and you haven't got access to the correct computer systems or whatever that you might need, um, that also is taken into consideration, as well as things such as if you if you are a curer and you're caring for someone vulnerable at home, that will also be taken into consideration.
0: Okay. And the final thing I want to ask um, Rebecca, and this is sort of not just doesn't just apply to students, but there are changes to the way that people have to self isolate as well now if you're vaccinated, right?
6: Yeah. Um. So if you have, if you're self if you've been in contact with someone and you are not vaccinated, you must self-isolate. So while you've had one vaccine or no vaccines, um, you must self-isolate for the 10 days as is in the gains. However, if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to self-isolate, but you do have to take a PCR test twice within the 10 days that it would have been normal that you would have been self-isolating. So that's on day two. And day eight of the 10-day period so that's just to ensure that if symptoms don't develop over time
0: okay and if you're not fully vaccinated self-isolation for 10 days isn't that right Yeah. okay Rebecca thank you so much for being with us Rebecca Dobbin Donaghy there from the scoop news team well that leaves lots of questions unanswered by Queen's as well if a student gets Covid will they be provided with the same materials that they missed out on automatically Or is that down to individual lecturers? Are all lecturers mandated to provide students who are absent due to COVID with recordings of the lectures that they missed? Or is that also down to individual lecturers? And what sort of test and trace system is the university using? If you've been in a small tutorial with maybe five other students, will they automatically be informed? Or is the university leaving it up to the NIY test and trace apps? Or are they leaving it up to students to submit the names of the people they think they've been close to? Those are some of the questions that are particularly pertinent to my next guest. Emma Cairns, a second year PPE student, is with us now. Emma, thank you so much for being with us.
7: No worries, glad to.
0: Um, Emma, why don't we start off? Tell me a little bit about your father.
7: Yeah, so... In June 2020, um, my dad uh, was rushed into hospital. He took uh, chronic kidney failure and we later found out that he had cancer. And if he probably hadn't taken the chronic kidney failure, we probably wouldn't have found out about the cancer. So that was fine. Um, we went into shielding bubble in, from June, obviously because of COVID, regardless of restrictions being lifted. And then in September, I started Queen's. It was going really well. I was delighted it was online simply because my dad was so vulnerable. And then in February of this year, um, I had to ring 999. Um, my dad was just really ill. Um, within less than 24 hours, I was told that my dad had approximately four or five days to live. He had heart failure. Um, he went into surgery for 10 hours, um, almost lost him twice. It was in cardiac arrest for four minutes. Stayed in ICU for three weeks, in hospital for three months. Um, I'm an only child to him, I live by myself with him. So, you know, you can understand how scary that is. Um, During that time, I got very little support from Queen's. Um, I was sort of told you can take a leave of absence, you can do these modules, you can do your exams, you know, at a later stage. And I'm like, that wasn't what I was asking. I was just asking for support. If anything, I asked for time out for a couple of weeks. I would still catch up on lectures and tutorials. That was fine um but obviously you know coming back in September that was the scary part because restrictions have been lifting and I think it was quite daunting because my dad's still in recovery my dad lost all of his mobility in those three months that he was in hospital and you know he's still very delicate and he's very very vulnerable so you know to be told it's a full return face to face there's no phasing back it was hard going for us
0: and when you heard for the first time from the NI executive and then indeed from the university that it would be a full to full return to face to face teaching. Um, many students were celebrating. What was your reaction when you first heard that?
7: I could have cried. I could have cried because um Ulster, even though they gave out guidance late, Ulster actually had sent this lovely email. And I mean it was a lovely email to their students and their staff being like, we understand this is the NI executive's position. However, we realize that this new normal that we're living in is not an easy phase back into a normality for all students and staff. And they did a phased return back to, you know, campus. Some people are still online. and um, you know, if you are C E V or your family member C E V, they're doing really well in accommodating students. Queen's, on the other hand, it was very last minute, of course, as usual from Queen's to tell us what was actually going to happen. I had reached out to my personal um, tutor. He had told me to contact HAP, contacted HAP. They were like, this is the NI executive's guidance. There's nothing we can do, it's still a return. I had to go through the director of education. And eventually, um, you know, I contacted my advisors of study and he was amazing. And um, you know, he gave me clear guidance. He contacted people for me and he really sympathized with my situation. And I think that was the thing that worried me. I'd love to be back in campus, I'd love to be face to face, I'd love to be with my friends. That's selfish though. And, you know, this isn't about me. If I get COVID, I'd like to think I'm gonna be fine. However, my dad, who is 62 years of age, who has just become through major surgery, diagnosed with cancer a year ago. I don't know how it's gonna hit him. And it's not about me, it's about him in that situation.
0: I know, I suppose the university would respond and say that you know, it's, a, it's an evolving and flexible situation and they're responding to it as quickly as they can. From your perspective though, I mean, did you find the university uh, sympathetic to no. the kind of situation that you're in? Why not?
7: No, because it was very much, I, countless emails, I mean countless emails, and I was getting copied and pasted responses of this is the ANI executive's guidance. It's back to face-to-face. There's no social distancing. Masks are required. That's it. And it was like more sanity, more hand sanitizers will be provided. And everybody's required to wear a mask. I've already been in lectures and tutorials where students are wearing masks. That makes me feel uneasy. It gives me anxiety. I understand there are reasons why students may not wear um masks, but at the same time, it's like, they don't understand that i'm going home to someone who is extremely vulnerable.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And let, let's come let's come back to you know what you're saying having been on campus a little bit. I mean in in the intervening time between you contacting the university to say here's my situation and now you've had a little bit of time to kind of figure things out have you have you kind of reached a compromise position with some of these lecturers higher things at the moment?
7: Um it's not too bad at the moment so um as I said, my advisor to studies was really great. He contacted my lecturers for me. They got in touch with me, or my module conveners, they got in touch with me. Um, so for one of my modules, the the module convener is CEV, so he's doing it all online. So it's great. That's perfect for me. The only thing that's face-to-face is tutorials for it. Um, my other module, um, the lecture is kind of recording for students who feel unsafe in class. Um, I thought at the beginning it was just me. Um, I found out the other day she's recording for other students than just me. Um, But she has said that she's only going to be able to do it for so long just because workload is going to hit her as well. Um, And then for my other module, um, the tutor has asked me to come to class because she says she doesn't have uh, the technology to record, which it's not great because I didn't feel like she maybe tried as hard as she could have. Um, it's a full class as well. Um, so I am being required to come in for tutorials. Um, from what I can sort of gauge from the module where the tutor is recording for students who feel unsafe, um, it's only a temporary measure. So I can assume after our Halloween, we could be back face to face, but I'm not and, too sure yet.
0: And obviously you've had to, in some ways, negotiate this with individual lecturers. Do you think that's the right way that this should be dealt with? Do you think it is right that individual lecturers can make decisions about what way they want to deliver learning to all of their students, be they ones who are concerned like yourself or others who want to appear face to face? Would you think that the university should be taking uh, a more universal approach, uh, perhaps more leadership at the top level and saying, here's how everything
7: needs to be done? No, I definitely think the uni should be taking a more universal approach. This isn't just about me. There are plenty of students who go to Queen's who probably feel the same as me. I know for a fact there are students who feel exactly the same as me. They feel unsafe. They'll sit away from students in class. And you don't want to make it awkward, you know, for other students to be like, oh, what's their issue sitting beside me? It's not like that. It's just the anxiety. I've never really had anxiety, probably until COVID. And the anxiety is now intensified every time I set foot in campus. Like I had a tutorial the other day in Peter Fogart building, and it was like a stampede there was no nobody half of them I'd say probably wasn't half some of them I mean a small minority weren't wearing masks and the majority of people were walking on top of each other up and downstairs like I know how I felt and I know how probably other students felt in that moment and like don't get me wrong I'm so I'm glad some students don't have the anxiety and aren't worried about it I'm glad that that they're happy to be back to face to face but I just feel like this isn't a black and white issue and you know to have to negotiate with your lecturer to why you don't feel safe surely if I don't feel safe anywhere I shouldn't have to attend
0: and um and and, and when you walk home you know at the end of a day maybe you've been in for example the Peter Frockett Center there where Junction is uh, which is a particularly uh, busy part of campus when you walk home and you're walking into your house and you know you know your dad's in there um what's running through your mind
7: oh you just want to know it's heartbreaking sometimes like I went into class the other day and I was coughing and I literally I just coughed the whole class and I just was like I need to do a PCR, I need to do a lateral flow, I need to do something, like it was the anxiety. Like I've been really, really fortunate, touch wood that, you know, I haven't had COVID yet. I don't want to get COVID, um, but it is the anxiety of like, I it's just me and him. And I know if it would be me that has given it to him and I would never be able to live with the guilt of that. Like that would just, it would break my heart because there is nobody else he sees, it is just me. So to, put, to think I'm putting him at risk, is just, it's heartbreaking. And I don't think people really understand until you've been put into a situation. Like I've almost lost my dad twice in the space of a year. That is enough to put somebody over the edge when you're especially an only child. And, you know, we're living in the middle of a pandemic. We've never, nobody's ever lived through this before. And I just feel like people should be a wee bit more sympathetic and understanding, especially a university that you're paying money to go to, to how you want to learn and how you feel comfortable to learn. And that I shouldn't have to leave a classroom. And have that anxiety of like oh my god am i going to be okay it, maybe somebody in that class who's got it who's asymptomatic doesn't realize they've got it you know
0: i, I, I suppose emma you know somebody might launch a criticism which is university is meant to be a face-to-face experience is it fair do you think to put on a, the pressure onto lectures and indeed the university to accommodate students who are face-to-face as they would typically be as well as students who have special circumstances like yourself is that fair thing to ask the university to do
7: I don't, a pandemic, we're living in a pandemic. It's nothing's normal about living through a pandemic. And surely, you know, it's about protecting one another. And, you know, maybe it is the workload is intensified. Yeah, 100%. But I don't understand why Queens still aren't recording lectures and posting them online. Like I know as well, you know, what happens if I've died for 10 days? What do, what do lecturers expect me to do? If they're not recording, do they just expect me to catch up by watching or going through a PowerPoint of slides? That's not how I learn, and I'm pretty sure it's probably how a majority of a lot of other people don't learn either. And you know, you're missing that content and being told to catch up. However, if a lecturer catches COVID, they can record from home, so they automatically go online if they have COVID. But I just have to catch up, and I think that that's, that's a lot to take in as well because I don't learn by just watching a power or scrolling through a PowerPoint. I genuinely need to be speaking to someone. Mm-hmm. and like missing out in tutorials too is it's, it's a, I don't like missing out in tutorials tutorials are a great way for me to learn I like engaging with people I like hearing other people's thoughts mm-hmm. and if you're missing out in two weeks of that you're essentially two weeks behind
0: and Emma um you know a, a sort of finish up what try to describe for me if you can what the last year has been like with with your father being so ill. you live by yourself just you and your dad I
4: yeah. mean
0: what would I suppose what would life be like if if he wasn't around anymore
7: I can't even describe it ah, actually makes me so sad makes me want to cry to think that like you know we went to a hospital there um a couple of months ago for a checkup in the city and um, for his cancer and the consultant turned around and was like Mr Curns you shouldn't be here and I cried like to think that like somebody's telling you that that's heartbreaking like and to think that these aren't normal circumstances we're living in and people are getting on the way they are and I, I understand everybody wants to go back to normality but normality is not easy for everyone and it's not and it's not easy for me I'd love to be able to go out and go to the nightclubs again and bars and sit with my friends who I haven't seen in so long but it's just not that simple for somebody like me so it's not and it would just be it would kill me it would kill me if I thought the thought of putting him at risk would just I, I couldn't live with the guilt.
0: Emma, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you.
7: No worries at all. Thanks, Thomas.
0: Well, that is us for this week. Thank you so much to all my guests on the show for giving me their time. Thank you to the amazing team here at The Scoop, especially to Olivia, Rebecca, and Odrin for their work on this show. And don't forget to follow our weekday shows, The Good News Scoop on Mondays, The Trendy Scoop on Tuesdays, The Sporty Scoop on Wednesdays, the Eco Scoop on Thursdays and the Mental Health Scoop here on Fridays. We've got it all for you here at The Scoop. Remember, you can send us your stories too. Just email the Scoop at queensradio.org. Thank you so much for your company this evening. My name is Thomas Copeland. This has been The Scoop on Sunday. No night.